0: All right, Caitlin, are you ready to play word association? I am more ready than I ever could be.
1: (laughs) All right. I'm going to say a word, and you tell me the first word or phrase that comes to mind. Oh,
0: no, this feels dangerous. (laughs) Ready? Kitchen. Baking. (laughs) That was not that hard. I know, I don't know like I, I guess I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Ooh. <laughs> High heels. Sex in the city? Uh PTA.
1: Moms. Proverbs 31 woman.
0: Oh, I see. Biblical womanhood.
1: <laughs> Nailed it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Proverbs 31 woman. Domestic goddess. Domestic goddess indeed. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women making our way in New York, trying to live, laugh, and love. <laughs> I'm Caitlin Maney, <laughs> And I'm Roxy Stone.
1: Let's do a quick refresh. Who is this illustrious Proverbs 31 woman?
0: Well, it's interesting you ask. I mean, I always have my Bible open whenever we're recording. And I just happened to be turned to Proverbs 31. So the Proverbs 31 woman isn't an actual woman in history. It's really a description of a wife of noble character. So this is like basically a description of the ideal woman. And she is working with eager hands. She's really industrious. She gets up while it's dark. She buys a field She blesses the poor, extends her hands to the needy. She opens her household for other people. And she is so virtuous that her husband praises her at the city gates. And as much as the Proverbs 31 woman kind of gets flack, like I like her because she is industrious. And I talk about the Proverbs 31 woman in my book a woman's place as being like, this has been warped to mean like somebody who's docile or Mm -hmm. like in the kitchen slaving away when that is not Mm -hmm. what we're reading. She's working. Like she's, she's working to provide for her family and for her community. If anything, she's the woman who's doing it all. Right. She was kind of like what you thought you might want to (laughs) be a domestic goddess and a doctor. (laughs) Indeed. I should have worked harder on the domestic goddess part. Maybe taken a cooking class or something. Yeah, I know that you struggle some time with the kitchen. I'm getting there. This pandemic. <laughs> I cook like most nights now. Wow. You're <laughs> becoming her. <laughs> this, I didn't expect this transformation.
1: I haven't bought any fields.
0: Yeah, no, no field purchases for me either. So one of the things we want to talk about on this episode is how these teachings affect real men and women and how they've affected us in our lifetimes and shaped our relationship to God, to each other, to how we see ourselves. So do you feel like these teachings have affected you in a direct way?
1: Honestly, you know, I, I thought
0: I'd left a lot of that behind when I
1: moved to New York and I thought... You know, I'm an independent woman living this dream. I was attending a church that welcomed women at all levels of leadership. Mm-hmm. Every married couple I knew was egalitarian. I knew so many working women, so many single women. And so I felt like that that wasn't really a part of my life anymore. Mm. So I left New York for a few years and moved to uh, the left coast, <laughs> as we call it. And I I was pretty seriously dating a, a guy at the time, and we'd been taking some premarital courses at the church that we were attending, and there was this weekend-long seminar that the church was hosting on marriage. It wasn't put on by the church, it was put on by a husband and wife couple who had written several books on marriage and, you know, kind of traveled and did these seminars. So I, I really reluctantly agreed to go, and... You know, I thought even if that's what it is, I'm I'm a lot older and I've figured out how to be an adult woman and I've read and researched and feel like I had good, solid footing. And honestly, maybe I was just a little naive. I thought, hey, this California church, they're not they're not going to hold on to these 1950s ideas of marriage.
0: California is a big state.
1: It is a big
0: state. (laughs) Not just L.A., baby. (laughs) So true. Central California. Anyway, I don't know where you yes, were, indeed. but well, I kind of do, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so pretty early on, my spidey senses started tingling. Like what set them off? Like 30 minutes into the retreat when it was like, men go over there and women go into that room. And I was like, oh dear. Mm. And sure enough, like pretty quickly in the women's room, the word submission came up. Mm -hmm. And that's a loaded word in this context. When you're talking to women about how to be good wives, the speaker kind of went straight to those verses in the Bible that kind of get cherry-picked around wives submitting to husbands and not being permitted to teach men. And, of course, one of my all-time favorites, how women owe their husbands sex and shouldn't deprive them of it. Wait, is that in the Bible? Uh, It is, but... It's accompanied by verses about how men are not supposed to deprive their wives of sex either, but mm-hmm. nobody ever seems to really mention that part because Christians can't seem to sometimes wrap their head around the idea that women might also get
0: horny and not <laughs> just men. I I, I literally, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was the fact that my dad sometimes listens to this, but you know, it's fine. It's fine. Tim Beatty, he can handle it, but... Yes, he gets it. It, going back to the Bible passages, it seems like even with the passage on submission, you know, Paul starts that passage with m- the message of mutual submission. But oftentimes, yeah, when these things are taught, it's somehow it's only emphasized like what the women are required to do for men.
1: Yes, exactly, and uh, yeah, I knew those verses, and I felt like. I know these are taken out of context. I've done this reading. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was crawling out of my skin and clearly did not hide it very well. (laughs) I
0: was just going to ask, did you visibly show your discomfort? I must have, because
1: suddenly one of the speakers stopped and said, there seems to be some hostility in the room.
0: Oh my <laughs> God! I know
1: these verses are uncomfortable, uh, but this is a very plain reading of the Bible, and we have to obey them. And if we just, dis- even if we dislike them or popular culture and feminism tells us otherwise, mm. then <laughs> she said she wanted to pray away the spirit of Satan in the room that was keeping a few of us from hearing God's word on this. And then, oh no! She asked, All of us to close our eyes. (laughs) No. She asked all of us to close our eyes and asked some of the women leaders from the church to go to the people who were clearly struggling with this and pray over them. And sure enough, within a second or two, I had hands on my shoulders and women praying over me that I would be released from the grip of Satan and that I could listen to these teachings and here. And I was so uncomfortable. I started shaking. Gee, I I Um, wonder why. And I was so mad. And then I I peeked open my eyes because I was so mad. And I also just kind of wanted to know, like, am I the only woman that's being prayed over right now? There was like one other woman that was, but also I caught out of the corner of my (laughs) eye this woman standing at the door with the door open and she was sort of making a whooshing sort of gesture with her arms where she was like whooshing air from inside to outside. And she was praying out loud as she was doing it, that she could expel Satan from the room. (laughs)
0: I'm, I'm really upset by this story. I mean, it's bonkers, but also a lot. I just think that (laughs) it is potentially spiritually abusive to suggest that someone who might be uncomfortable with a certain interpretation and how a passage of scripture is being taught is under demonic influence. And that's such a, that's such a way of like putting you in your place, Mm -hmm. attributing like an evil presence within you or over you because you're not going along point by point with, the teaching.
1: Right. And a total dismissal of my own agency or my knowledge or what I had maybe come to believe at this point in my life or the sense that, you know, the only way I could not believe these things mm-hmm. is if I had fallen prey to the devil's false teachings.
0: Right. Even if she believed that, like even if she believed you were wrong or out of step or something by maybe raising your eyebrows at the teaching, that does not mean that you are under evil influence. I certainly would like to think not. (laughs) So how did this end? Like, did you talk to any of the other women there? Or I wonder if you just felt like you couldn't because they seemed to be on board I got up and walked out, mm-hmm.
1: and I hung around until after the session. And like you said, I couldn't. Re- I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody because I wasn't sure where everybody else stood. And I think mm-hmm. it sort of affected my own sort of assumptions around where I thought the women in the church that I'd gotten to know were at mm-hmm. on these things. And it, it just—I felt shut down. And like—and I just was like, I don't. I don't feel the permission to speak here mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't want to get in a fight here. It's not, in some ways I still felt like a guest at the church because mm-hmm. it it was still somewhat of a new church to me. And when I talked to the man that I was dating, when I talked to him afterwards about his session, he was like, no, we didn't hear any of that. Like we didn't hear anything about like leading our wives or our wives submitting to us. It was I felt kind of gaslit in that moment too, like by him, by the whole situation. Mm. Like, am I crazy? Like, did I? Am I misinterpreting this? Am I? Am I bringing my own baggage to this situation? And what's And this is really not that serious. It's really much more light. But then I remembered the woman wishing the devil out the door, and I was like, no, no.
0: <laughs> you did not make that up. You couldn't have made that up. <laughs> I was like, yeah. This, this was. A lot. This was bizarre. I'm really sorry that that happened to you.
1: Thanks. It was wild. But I think it also just really drove home to me. Like, we're not in a consolidated place about these teachings as a church, Mm -hmm. as an evangelical or even Christian church. And there are certainly ways that culture has informed both of those ideas. I mean, it's not like June Cleaver in the 1950s did not influence some of these ideas or patriarchy for centuries did not mm-hmm. influence some of these ideas around complementarianism. And of course, like movements resisting that, like feminism, have influenced egalitarian ideas or influenced my own ideas. And I think, you know, th- there's a tension there and something I'm s- I still wrestle with and think like... I think I know what I believe, but then you confront people who believe something so different and it feels like, oh my gosh, again, like, am I a little crazy here?
0: Well, speaking of The Making of Biblical Womanhood, that is the name of a fantastic new book, and we're really excited today to speak to the author, Beth Allison Barr.
1: Beth is a professor of medieval history, women, and religion at Baylor. She is also a Baptist pastor's wife and the mother of two kids. Coming right up. RNS is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on
0: religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. For the best in global religion reporting, visit religionnews.com.
1: And hey, while you're in front of your computer, contact us. We want to hear from you. Tweet to the hashtag SavedByTheCity, and you can find a larger conversation happening there.
0: And if you like what you hear and what we're doing is blessing your heart, definitely go leave a five-star <laughs> rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. i so Christian. <laughs> oh. We're so excited today to have Beth Allison Barr join us. Beth is also the author of the new book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. I might be a little biased because I edited this book, (laughs) but I think it is phenomenal, and I hope everyone has a chance to read it. Thank you so much for joining us, Beth Conversation. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So what do you remember hearing in church communities that you grew up in about what it meant to be a girl and later a woman? What were some of those kind of foundational messages that you heard?
2: Yeah. So there's these messages that I got in the 80s and the 90s that what women did was keep house and keep pretty house Mm -hmm. and make really good food. And so then in the early 90s, when I started hearing really with a vengeance, this teaching about biblical womanhood. And it really came with James Dobson. That's what I remember. Mm -hmm. I remember James Dobson and focus on the family magazines, like all of a sudden were everywhere around our church, Mm -hmm. his love for a lifetime. Everybody was giving that as wedding presents. (laughs) So, you know, and that's how I, I mean, I remember all all of these love for a lifetime books. I think our church one time had like stacks of them. And And,
0: love for a lifetime sorry dr Dobson have not read it <laughs> I'm not familiar with too. it it's a marriage book about it's a marriage women book. and men's yes. roles within marriage I assume mm-hmm.
2: it's actually really a little bit disturbing because it even has it' sh- it's like how to make each other comfortable on the wedding night mm-hmm. and it's Spicy. like it's a little it's a little spicy, but in sort of a weird uh-huh. way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was really, I think, where I first started hearing these messages articulated. And they were reinforced by what I saw mm-hmm. by, you know, us at homemaking was an emphasized skill. Mm-hmm. When I was in junior high, they still had homemaking classes that the girls would go to and the boys would go to a wood shop. We had that too. Yeah, yeah.
1: So It was not required. And you could take shop as a girl- but nobody really did. Right. Mm-hmm. And being what I thought was a really good feminist at the time, I just decided to take neither one of them. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not buying into this at all, which is really dumb because it'd be really cool to know how to cook. And it'd you be could really have learned cool woodshop. To... Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I should have yeah. taken both. Yeah. yeah, woodshop would have been cool.
1: <laughs> so let's just define what, what we're even talking about here when we say like biblical womanhood. Like what is this? concept and kind of and and where did it come from
2: yeah i think the easiest explanation of biblical womanhood is probably the baptist faith and message 2000 Mm -hmm. where it has the new paragraph where it says that husbands essentially are the spiritual authority of the home and wives are to submit graciously to their husbands and that women cannot hold positions of leadership preaching is what's specified Mm -hmm. and so it strikes me this wasn't that long ago
1: Uh, not at all
2: no. And then, of course, we have James Dobson in this whole mix, who's a part of all of this, and then is producing the literature mm-hmm. that everybody's reading about how to raise your kids, and starting to debate things like, if a woman works outside the home, should she have a housekeeper clean her house? I mean, mm-hmm. why is that even a theological conversation? Right. Wait, uh, I don't know, because she's oh, making the other... This? No.
0: See, these are there are these little, like, nuances <laughs> to how... Like, you know, the one of the classics is John Piper <sighs> being asked if, like... A woman police officer right. can, a, right, you yes. know, can have this authority over a man, and I think he s- says the more direct authority, the more problematic it is. Right. So, right, it
2: spills over; it doesn't stay confined absolutely. to churches. It mm-hmm. it impacts every aspect of women and men's life. Mm-hmm. So, and it also teaches boys. I mean, you just think about this: teaches boys when they're like thirteen years old, and suddenly they can't have female teachers anymore. And so, I mean, what does that make them think about female authority mm-hmm. as they continue to go on in high school and have female teachers and female professors, and yet mm-hmm. they're taught in church that women shouldn't have that type of authority over men? I mean, it's it's dangerous. Mm. So I'm sure that some of
0: our listeners will be listening to all of this and say, but wait a minute, okay, right. this is from the Bible. Yep. The Bible specifically teaches, specifically Paul, we know the passages, but, you know, Just to rehearse them, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says women ought to be silent. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 5 talks about wives submitting to their husbands. 1 Timothy 2, women are not to teach or exercise authority Mm -hmm. over men, and they are to be workers at home, which is Titus 2. Right, not hire housekeepers. That's it. Do their own housework. So I know that you've grappled a lot with these biblical texts, and I think they're really important to grapple with because... A lot of Christians obviously see the Bible as authoritative, and they have Mm -hmm. heard these texts preached on and taught for a long time. And it seems clear, like, Paul is clearly teaching that women are to be submissive. How do you grapple with those texts?
2: Yeah, well, I (laughs) mean— It's it's so hard for me to see them any differently now, now that I understand them in their historical context, that I just kind of wonder how we've been duped for so long to think that these texts were silencing women or telling women to be submissive. You know, the thing is, is that, if you take the Bible seriously and you take it authoritatively, you have to really understand what the purpose of these texts are written for. And you have to put it within Paul's broader message. Mm. And so, you know, you you quoted the verses. And of course, there's also Colossians, you know, the, the household codes. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it. It's like, what, six, seven verses total. But that's that's all it is. And if you think about the fact that we've interpreted the entire Bible through the lens of six or seven verses. It's just really crazy. You think about how poor that is from the theological standpoint. The one that I've been seeing...
1: The argument I've been seeing a lot lately, just today, by a tweeter who I will not name, is <laughs> it's the order of creation.
2: Oh, I, I know that tweet too. <laughs> I missed the tweet. <laughs> I'm like I won't go look <laughs> it up now. But I I think I I saw it late last night. Yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, are we doing and this we again? We are doing it again. And I, but that's one I keep seeing a lot. Maybe it's been re- it's been resurrected, yeah. I
1: suppose. But that's well, God created man first. And then, woman, it's the order of creation. So what do you say to that?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, if you think about what's going on in the Old Testament, there is an order in the sense that humanity is the encapsulating sort of of God's creation. But at the same time, the fact that we start off with the first creation story, which is God creates human, and then we get more specification that he divides that human into male and female, and those two parts work together. Mm -hmm. And that whole human is given stewardship over the earth. Mm -hmm. And so both the male and the female are given stewardship. I mean, even Russell Moore admits that there is no hierarchy in that early creation story. Mm. Now, like the tweeter that we aren't naming, um, hasn't found gotten him. that message. Found <laughs> that <was hard. laughs> he hasn't, I'm sure you just had to go look up his name. Um, no, I, I looked up order
0: of creation and I found your tweet, Beth, responding to him. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't say very much. I just rolled my eyes, but there's that argument that order of creation implies hierarchy That is something we've completely read into the text. It does not imply hierarchy. Mm. And most biblical scholars do not argue for hierarchy in that creation order. And in fact, I always think about the medieval priests who emphasized that Eve was made from Adam's side, not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet to rule under him, but from his side to be with him. And, Mm. you know, I think... I don't, I don't understand why. And of course, then the other thing that you've seen too is that God gets better with His creation. So you know, He moves from the animals <laughs> to humanity, and then women. So why can't we flip it and say women are the crowning of all of His creation because we were created last? So
0: what I anyway, I mean, what I hear you saying, Beth, we all we cannot help bringing cultural lenses to the biblical text. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm and saying. And so patriarchy
1: has been brought to the biblical text
2: all of the time. (laughs) Because humans like hierarchy and humans like to be better than other humans. Mm. Mm. Teaching world history, that's the consistent pattern, Mm -hmm. is that we always create hierarchies and say who is underneath us and who are we better than. So
1: where do we go from here? You've written this book. You know, I think for for people listening, for people who are probably in churches, maybe in churches Mm -hmm. where a lot of this still exists... Yeah, like what? How do we heal? How do we move on? How do we how do we change that kind of culture? I mean, I think for Caitlin and I, we just left that. I mean, we don't. We go to churches where women can be in ministry, and that Mm -hmm. isn't. You know, is that the answer? What is the you know?
2: Well, you know, so many women, it's not really an option for because um, they're in churches with their families, Mm -hmm. and so for them to leave, they would have to have their families leave. Mm -hmm. I think what we've got to do is we've got to change the messages and that's actually part of why I wrote Mm -hmm. this book is because I was like ordinary people sitting in churches have to know that scholarship for years that old scholarship you know this stuff's been going on for a long time completely refutes completely disrupts this narrative of biblical manhood and womanhood and that you can be a faithful Christian without adhering to it so I think there is going to be change coming with the younger generation. But I think the hurdle for us is they have to realize that they can be faithful Christians. And I think that's the biggest hurdle is that we have been so, uh, you know, I hate the word brainwashed, but we've been so duped into thinking that if you question biblical manhood and womanhood, that you're questioning the authority of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's that's just not true.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, Caitlin and I have both spent a long time thinking about these things too. And we've been looking forward to this to this episode and getting to talk to you about this. And it was so good to talk to you today, Beth. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. This is great. Well, I think it's clear by now how profound the effects of these teachings have been on women, but it's not like men... Have gone unaffected.
0: We wanted to get the perspective of a man who grew up hearing about biblical manhood. And to do that, we're bringing back one of our most requested guests. You'll probably remember him from our Dating Apps episode, a fan favorite for sure. Hot Who's this guy again? Well, Bed to Heart is the associate rector of Calvary St. George's Church in Gramercy Park, and he has his own podcast, Our Triune Pod. Get it? No. That's a shame. (laughs) I do get it. I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for joining us again. Welcome back, Ben.
3: Thanks for having me again.
0: We didn't scare you away the first time, and you're in good standing with your bishop.
3: Oh, I just want to thank all the new Instagram followers I've gotten from this podcast. Thank you, ladies.
1: All all the new, all the new, um, all the people sliding into your DMs. (laughs) Not yet, not yet. So let me ask you a question, Ben. Have you heard the phrase Christic manhood floating around?
3: Actually, just for the first time today, I I did a little research before this, and I, I had never heard of that, just like biblical manhood or like... Uh, you know, I am Christ to to my wife or something like that. But Chris, I, I like that. That's a uh, man.
0: You like that'll it? I do get
3: some of the theologians <laughs> going. <laughs> no, full disclosure, don't like it. The, the term is, uh, it just, it sounds mm-hmm. smart, right? It sounds like, ooh, someone's sounds like real <laughs> thinking there.
0: Yeah, the word christic mm-hmm. is like a 300 christic. point theological word. So what is your impression of that word?
3: Christic man I I don't even know what that but that would entail
1: what do you think they mean
3: yeah what what do they mean I think the one thing about biblical manhood or Christic manhood, whatever they're calling it these days is I can't cook I know I shouldn't be saying that right I'm trying to like potentially meet someone over this so total (laughs) bummer but I think the reason why I was not taught to cook was my mom who bless her heart she did like uh met incredibly well. She became a Christian later in life and was just taught all this stuff and was like, Mm. oh, there's a thing with biblical manhood and womanhood, and so I shouldn't teach my son to cook anything because that's a woman's job. (laughs) But I can Uh, grill, ladies. I can grill. That's a manly manly. thing.
1: (laughs) So do you feel like a pressure to get ripped for
3: Jesus? I think my my favorite movie growing up was Braveheart.
1: (laughs) Yes, it was. I knew it.
3: (laughs) I wanted to be William Wallace. And I wonder how much of that, I mean, like, I mean, sure, I still enjoy and love some of that stuff. So part of that's personality. But I wonder if there isn't a tinge of like, this is what you're supposed to be.
1: Mm -hmm. I am so thrilled that you brought up Braveheart because when we were brainstorming questions, I was like, I bet you heard a Braveheart sermon at least once.
3: Oh, totally. Totally. And that's why I'm wondering. I'm wondering if. If really, like, if I, like, you know, I'm i sure I wasn't allowed to watch Braveheart when I was young. It's rated R, but I'm sure we heard about it in the sermon one time. And I'm like, Mom, <laughs> that movie I want to watch, the pastor just said, this is going to help me become a man. So we're watching it. And she was probably just like, well, if the pastor said it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I had to read this book, Wild at Heart, by John Eldridge. I'm not sure. You've heard of it?
1: We've heard of it. Oh, yeah. 90s evangelical staple. Yeah. You know,
3: my, my youth pastor gave me Wild at Heart and— I was just like, man, I'm not taking enough like life risking activities into my hand. I, I guess I'm not a biblical man. Mm. And then the, the disconnect between that and, you know, the the life-giving Christ of the scriptures. Uh, I don't know. I guess you could find areas in the gospels where Jesus is telling it to him how it is and being all intense, but uh
0: like in the temple. That's always a big oh, one.
3: Oh yeah, turning over tables.
0: I've heard a lot of proponents be like, he took out a whip (laughs) and he whipped them. Jesus wasn't afraid of confronting people physically.
3: Is that what I'm supposed to be doing?
1: I definitely heard some sermons growing up about like really focusing in on how Jesus was a carpenter and that would have meant he had a Mm. lot of muscles and he was really
3: handy. Gotcha. So all of us working in tech or who are behind desks all day, we're probably not living into our, what is it? Christic. Manhood.
0: Jesus doesn't want flabby followers.
3: <laughs> oof, oof. How I many COVID's been, re- I mean, yeah. we must really <laughs> Come be struggling. On, Lord, right where now. are we
1: supposed to work out? Uh, why do you think there's so much angst around that, like in evangelicalism or America? Maybe it's just America, but all of this angst around what it is to be a man, to be masculine.
3: Oh, I think it's just because you ladies have been empowered and we don't like it. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that's like, mm. that's what it feels like it is i mean I, maybe i'm not being very charitable and i feel like a lot of guys are threatened by women in power women in leadership people in power don't like to give up power me included mm. yeah Talk of because my, my church didn't really emphasize like women couldn't be pastors i found that out really later uh, probably because i wasn't mm. paying attention but i did notice that women could be missionaries like women could be mm-hmm. You know, on the front mm-hmm. lines of evangelism <laughs> to people who've never heard it before, which I guess is kind of like, you know, the apostle to the apostles, like being the first ones. But then once they've heard of it, God forbid, mm. it's like you're you're subjugated to being a church planner or a missionary forever. And that's just mm-hmm. it. You just got to keep going. So, mm. I mean, according to that world, it sounds like women have the harder work. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to be a missionary. Yeah,
0: I mean. <laughs> The rise of missions, like, global missions in the 19th and 20th centuries were all, like, single Mm -hmm. women. It was. And is that because
3: that's what they could
0: They, I mean, they obviously couldn't be formal leaders in a church, but because they were single and unattached to, like, the homestead Mm -hmm. and caring for a family, Mm -hmm. they were just, like, young and zealous and travel all over the world, which is just this really interesting irony. I mean, I wanted to be a
1: missionary when I graduated from high school, and I think a lot of it was that. Like, I read a lot of those stories, and Mm -hmm. I wanted to do the most important thing that I could think of for the church and Jesus, and since I couldn't be a pastor, that was to be a missionary, you know?
3: And here you are, a missionary to the legions of listeners. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: What about your own sense of like what it means to be a man?
3: Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I mean, I think, I think in the broader culture, there's still this kind of like if you were a man, uh, we might both work, but you're to be the breadwinner. There's a little bit of a you're mm-hmm. you're a provider. I think, you know, maybe in New York City, that's less obvious or less in your face. But yeah, I, I think that's in the church, outside of the church. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have to worry about all that stuff. Um, I can't cook and you're going to be the breadwinner. (laughs) So ladies, you're not going to be the breadwinner, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I I will have a sick apartment because it's New York city and the Episcopal church takes care of you. Um,
0: (laughs) That is, that's a real perk. So you, you talked about like the person of Jesus laying down his life as this, obviously this biblical ideal, like what are some other qualities about Jesus that inform the kind of man or person that you want to be in the world today yeah i mean
3: i think you know kanye west says it really well have you got the power to let power go jesus lets go of power Mm. i mean i think that's what (laughs) if there's something of a biblical manhood and womanhood it's it's that we both Mm. power according to the scriptures is the ability to let power go Mm. and i think that's true power
1: Well, this has been great again, so thank you so much for being willing to submit yourself to these difficult questions on our podcast.
3: I'm down to do it again. Thanks so much.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I guess the guys have some baggage too. Yeah, but the difference is that they can lift the baggage to get ripped for Jesus.
1: That's true, whereas we're the weaker sex.
0: I mean, I guess 1 Peter 3, 7 was right. I can barely lift my arms. Especially after this pandemic. (laughs) So are we going to watch Braveheart together soon? Yeah. I have all the lines memorized. (laughs) Can you share one today?
2: Freedom! (laughs) (laughs) Very, very compelling.
0: (laughs) That was... I want to watch it. Yeah. Especially if you agree to, like, yell along. I will. We could follow it up with Gladiator. Oh, gosh. <laughs> any any toga-oriented movie.
1: I just want men who are fighting to protect their God-given land.
0: Well, on that note, that's our show. Let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening, everybody. And if you enjoyed yourself, you should definitely let us know. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Saved by the City is a Religion News Service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Wyndham. Chaz Russo put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty and Roxy Stone. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening.